This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 52, February 15th, 2009. So, do you speak any other languages? Just cling on. Aloha from the island, Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to discuss the latest episode of Lost, This Place is Death. And here's how we're going to break it down. We'll recap the episode in eight minutes or less. Then we'll share our thoughts and theories as we look at it in greater detail. We hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. Finally, we'll step into the forward cabin to take a look at what's coming up on Lost. So, you ready? Let's get lost. So, This Place is Death is the fifth episode of the fifth season of Lost. We've got a little stuff off the island and a lot going on on the island, so let's start in L.A. At the pier, Sun is watching Jack, Kate, Saeed, and Ben. Her mom calls her on the phone saying that Jian wants to say hello. Um, just Sun tells Jian about Aaron, and then she gets out of the car, points the gun at Ben, and says, if it wasn't for you, Jin would be alive. Ben says Jin's not dead, and he can prove it. He says that he can take her to someone there in the city who will show her proof and tell her how to get back to the island. Kate, however, gets upset and accuses Jack of only pretending to care for Aaron as part of Ben's scheme. Saeed walks away as well, saying he wants no part of it. Ben tells Sun, come on, it'll take only 30 minutes. Jack tells Sun that he's sorry for leaving Jim behind on the freighter. Sun asks Jack why he's apologizing now and if it's just to save Ben's hide. Jack says that after what Ben did to Kate, he'd kill Ben himself. Ben flips out, hits the brakes really hard and says... After what I did to keep you safe, you'd never stop thanking me. They arrive at a church, and Ben gives Sun Jin's wedding ring. He says that Locke gave it to him, and she asks why Locke didn't come to her. Ben says maybe he never had a chance before he died, and says, They need our help. We can get back, but we're running out of time. Will you come with me? And Sun says yes. Desmond shows up. He asks if they're looking for Faraday's mother, too. Ben looks shocked, but they all go in, and he calls the woman Eloise. Desmond recognizes her, too. Ben tells her this is all they could get on short notice. She says, it'll have to do for now. Let's go. Back on the island, Jin is on the beach with the French crew, and the radio is picking up the numbers. Jin asks Danielle what year they set sail, and she says 1988. Jin freaks out and says he needs to find his camp, and they realize that he's been on the island before. Another man asks if there's a radio tower on the island. Jin says there is. He doesn't know where his camp is, but he does know how to get there from the radio tower. So they decide to go to the radio radio tower first. Danielle asks Jin who he's looking for, and Jin says, my wife. Trekking through the jungle, Robert and Danielle are talking about their baby, but they realize soon that Nadine is missing. They hear a rattling sound, and Jin says, monster! He says they must go, but they insist on searching for her, and they only find her backpack. Suddenly, the ground explodes, and Nadine's body falls out of nowhere. Jin yells, run! The smoke monster grabs Montan and tries to pull him down a hole. Everyone tries to hang on to him, um, but that kind of makes his arm come <laughs> off. They hear him yelling 
calling for help inside, and Robert leads the men in after Montan. Jin tells Danielle, though, that she should stay outside, and just then there's a flash. Suddenly he's alone, and he finds Montan's arm all decayed. He sees smoke rising in the distance and finds a camp on the beach. There's a music box and two bodies rotting. He hears shouting and finds Danielle holding Robert at gunpoint. Danielle is yelling that he isn't Robert and that the monster made him sick. Robert says the monster is just a security system guarding the temple and says that he loves her, but he tries to shoot her, but the firing pin is missing. She shoots him instead. She then sees Jin and says that he disappeared and that he's sick too. He must be a carrier. He runs into the jungle as she shoots at him as another flash comes and he hears a gun cock. He slowly turns and it's Sawyer. They hug and Sawyer says he thought he was dead. Uh, Jin says he was in the water and he asks, where is Sun? Sawyer tries to explain the flashes, but Jin is extremely agitated. He gets Charlotte to translate his Korean. She says that Jin wants to know how Locke knows Sun made it off the island. Locke says he knows, but it won't matter if he can't get to the orchid to bring all of the friends back, including Sun. Jin asks why Sun has to come back, and Locke says it's because she should have never left. Meanwhile, Charlotte asks Daniel if Locke's plan will work. He says it makes some sense, but the part about bringing everyone back to stop the flashes is where we leave science behind. Suddenly there's a flash and then another. Charlotte collapses. Juliet has a nosebleed and Sawyer too. Charlotte speaks, starts speaking Korean to Jin and eventually says, don't let them bring her back. No matter what, this place is death. She then starts to say some strange things about her daddy, about ancient Carthage, about Geronimo Jackson. Locke says that they have to go, but Daniel stays behind with her. Sawyer asks what they'll do if the orchid isn't there anymore, and Charlotte says, look for the well. They do eventually find the orchid, but it disappears in a flash. Fortunately, Locke finds the well and says he's going to go down and find a way off the island. Jin makes Locke promise not to bring Sun and his baby back and gives him his wedding ring to use as proof that he's dead. Meanwhile, Charlotte tells Daniel that she grew up on the island but moved away with her mother. Her mother later says that the island wasn't real, and Charlotte says that's why she became an anthropologist. She's been searching for the island her whole life. Charlotte says she now remembers a crazy man who scared her and told her to leave the island and never come back or else she would die. She says, Daniel, I think that man was you. Daniel tells her about talking to Desmond about his mother and that his mother can help them, but she dies. Locke starts to climb down the well. Juliet says, if this works, thank you. He's halfway down when there's another flash. Locke falls to the bottom, badly injuring his leg. On the surface, Sawyer finds himself holding a rope that disappears into the dirt. Locke hears footsteps and sees a light moving toward him. It's Christian Shepard. He tells Locke that he was supposed to move the island, not Ben. Locke says that Ben told him to stay and lead his people. Christian says, since when did listening to him get you anywhere worth a damn? He tells him to get all of his friends together and go see Eloise Hawking. Locke asks what happens if he can get only some of them. Christian just says, I believe you can do it. Locke says Richard told him he'd have to die, and Christian says, well, I suppose that's why they call it sacrifice. Christian tells Locke that there's a wheel that slipped off its axis and to give it a little push. He also says he can't help Locke get up. Locke staggers to the wheel, which is jerking back and forth. Locke eventually finds the strength to push it, and as the flash comes, Christian says, say hello to my son. Locke asks, who's your son? And And thud. thud. And that is This Place is Death in under eight minutes. And we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll look at it in greater detail. 
We'll get to our thoughts on this place's death and you all, everybody, in just a moment. But first, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere just like the transmission. Thanks to audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. As we've mentioned before, if you've always wanted to read the many books mentioned on Lost, Audible is a great way to go. For example, you can pick up Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens, narrated by David Timpson, and of course that's the very last Dickens book that Desmond has yet to read. Mentioned on The Constant. Absolutely, and I should also mention that the narrator of the book we mentioned last week is not the foul-mouthed comedian, (laughs) but is in fact a very well-known Irish actors. So you can pick up that book or this book. Just go to audible.com slash transmission and you'll get your free download. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. So what did you think about This Place is Death? At first, I thought it was a little too much. I mean, it was like having Christmas morning, Easter, and your birthday all on the same (laughs) day and you eat too much candy and you kind of feel sick afterward. Okay. Because there's just so much going on. Christian Shepherd, the smoke monster, Rousseau. I mean, so much crammed into such a little, you know, piece of, of time. Right. It kind of felt like the, the episode just before season finale. Right. Kind of the, we need to tie up a, a few loose ends before we get to the real big deal. Yeah. But then I watched it again the next day and I was really happy when it was over because, you know, you have all this stuff and it's... It was really great. Yeah, I think there's sort of that, uh, there, there really is that sense of, I don't know, vertigo or just getting whipped around a little. I mean, basically, you have an episode that has the level of reveals you would have expected over four episodes in season two, mm-hmm. and here you get it all in 40, 46 minutes. So it was a bit much. And I, I again, I think we're saying this a lot. It's like the faster the episode moves and the more ground it covers, the more exciting you it can be. But you kind of miss, to some extent, the depth. You kind of miss uh, getting rid or, or just taking a little bit more time. Uh, a specific scene stood out to me was when Jin stops uh, after be, after the flash and uh, he, he finds Montan's arm and runs off. Um, while he's making his way to the beach, he stops and he gets some water out of a leaf. Yeah. And I thought that was a really nice scene and I think that that, that almost had to be there. In fact, there, it, it seemed like a very distinct um, token uh, breather moment because, again, there was so much here that there, re- there really wasn't altogether that much um, pensiveness or thoughtfulness but again I, I can't complain you know um, having been uh, podcasting and and in season two just getting a little exasperated with how things are not happening and how we're just sort of treading water this episode is absolutely the antidote to that so the smoke monster was that awesome <laughs> that was absolutely awesome i mean uh what can we say we we got two things at once we saw the smoke monster again which again you sometimes wonder is or is not going to come up again or how much it's going to be addressed and also it answers you know here's where montan lost his arm and it happened to be the smoke monster that did it at yeah. the same time so i mean I why didn't she awesome. mention that that's what i'm wondering why yeah. didn't she mention that <laughs> this is where montan lost his arm not not where Nadine fell out of the sky, not where the smoke monster dragged him through the forest before removing his arm, um, not before a strange Asian man vanished in front of my very eyes. That's absolutely true. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's there's definitely going to be a lot of questions about the whole uh, Danielle and Jin relationship, because I think last we were, we were saying, well, uh, maybe, you know, basically Danielle and Jin did not have very intense experiences here in 1988, so that might be why Jin, uh, uh, that might be why Danielle doesn't recognize her when we first meet her in season 
season one of season two. Mm-hmm. But now these are some pretty intense um, experiences. In fact, you know, Jin's off in the jungle when she shoots Robert and she sees him and recognizes him immediately as that guy who vanished. So you would think that if you came up to him uh, in in season one, that would sort of stand out. But I would not. think so. I would, but you know, again, she's been traumatized. She's been alone for sixteen years. She's probably seen way crazier things than Jin <laughs> disappearing. So. You know, who knows? And to me, I think it again goes back to why Desmond only remembers having a conversation with uh, Daniel after he makes that change in the past. Right. We've only seen the timeline that that happened without the time travel happening. But whether or not. But that, of course, means there's more than one timeline. So who knows where Lost is leading us on 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 this hunt? I mean, obviously, uh, they just have to better articulate what these rules are. I'm sure that uh, serious metaphysicists and time travel nuts are are pulling their hair out. But at this point, it was just a great ride. I mean, just a a great connection there. Robert pretty much confirms for us that it's kind of like a security system. Right. Well, I mean, we've heard that before, that the Mm -hmm. smoke monster is a security system. But somebody told Robert that when he was in the cave supposedly trying to rescue Montan and I really like that I mean basically he's been convinced of the benevolence or at least the non-necessarily monsterish qualities of the smoke monster and how that happened I mean clearly there was a lot of time passed uh, between when he gets dragged into the hole and when we next see Danielle freaking out but maybe not that much time so what happened to her team and I think the, 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 the number one question is actually who's gone nuts who's got the sickness who's insane is it Rousseau or is it Robert and the other survivors that she killed? It's Rousseau. You think Rousseau is bonkers? I don't think she's gone bonkers yet. I think she's seen a few things that she can't really explain. And so she attributes that to some kind of a sickness. I mean, she obviously goes insane. I don't think she's quite there yet. But I don't think there's anything wrong with Robert. Well, you know, that's the. I'm not sure. I think I would disagree. And uh, we have some comments in our feedback section as well. And uh, John North Carolina said maybe there's brainwashing going on here. Maybe it's like room 23. Um, Obviously, messing with people's minds and making them believe certain things is part of the part of the modus operandi of the island and I, I do like the idea that uh, you know when Montan gets sucked into the temple and then immediately afterwards says help come help me you have to ask is that Montan saying that or is that uh, the voice of Montan is that the possessed I figure would of think Montan? that if your arm was ripped off you wouldn't be able to talk <laughs> <laughs> so again yeah I think that something happened there yeah. I think that the smoke monster can compel people to act or behave in certain ways and that's what uh, Russo was experiencing in fact they've gone out of our way to show how close their relationship was I think up until this point we haven't had much time with Robert and Danielle but they seem to know each other well they seem to have a strong relationship mm-hmm. so you would think that if uh, Robert starts speaking strangely and says the smoke monster is our friend we should believe the these smoke are not monster. the droids you're looking for <laughs> Exactly, that she would know something is going on. But you know, that's Rousseau. What about Christian Shepherd? That was unexpected, I think, entirely in this episode. Since when did listening to him get you anywhere worth a damn? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that I kind of forgot that the relationship between uh, the uh, the whatever Christian Shepherd embodies and whatever Ben 
uh, embodies as a as a force or as, as leadership on the island have not been one and the same. Right. There's every, obviously some hostility there. Um, ever since uh, Richard, you know, kind of lets lets go that people had not had much faith in Ben in doing right by the island. I think that's sort of continuing what 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 Christian Shepherd says in this, right. in that scene. But for him to turn up and for him to say that it was Locke that was supposed to be the one to turn the the wheel, uh-huh. I thought that was significant because it then starts to make you wonder what the time what the sequence of events would have been had it been Locke sent off originally rather than what we're seeing unfold now. But right. again, uh, that's probably getting into mind-bending territory. Uh, why do you think he said specifically, you have to get up on your own, I can't help you? He's not there. Well, see, I thought that too. And then someone on our blog said, well, but who put who hung up the lantern? Yeah. So maybe Christian Shepherd is physically there, but yet in some way he cannot physically interact with Locke, or he cannot take a direct action does, to affect Does me. Charlie interact with Hurley physically? I don't know. Um, I don't think they contact each other. And I also, you know, just like with Dave and Hurley throwing the, the rock, I mean, there's some question here as to whether a vision has physical presence or not, or whether it can uh, manipulate the environment. I'm not really sure. My initial thought, though, was yes, that when um, Christian Shepherd says, I can't help you, that, um, you know, clearly it's something that Locke has to do. And I think that when we see Christian Shepherd appearing off the island briefly, like he freaks out... Uh, uh, Jack in the hospital. Oh, right. You know, I think that he's definitely playing a role as an advisor, as someone who's helping you along to finish your journey, but he's not going to be able to to do something about that. And I, in any case, I think that that was a significant statement to make to, again, help us understand some of the rules about how these these characters, these spirits, these somethings are, are interacting and, and making things happen. Right. So one thing I am extremely uh, angry about is uh-uh. Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Yes, well, yes, a major character death, someone that we haven't known that long, and as is true to Lost, someone who becomes intensely interesting and perhaps pivotal to the overall story right before she dies. I mean, mm-hmm. that's lost in a nutshell as far as characters go. Also, you know, again, they've made it clear that her life was in danger. That's why there was dramatic tension up until now. I didn't expect it to happen when it did, uh, but I think I sincerely doubted that they were going to be able to get out of this flashes before it took one of them, and obviously Charlotte was the closest one to the door. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I don't, I'm kind of upset in the sense that you know, I guess they could pull a Danielle Rousseau. They could say, well, we're now going to show you her story as a young girl, which was clearly telegraphed here. You know, um, I was a young girl, and I, I, I am confident that every line she said from... Will be said ancient, by a younger character. Yeah, we're going yeah. to see those lines of dialogue. Uh, Mommy, why can't Daddy come with us? All of that. Absolutely, that's going to happen. We're going to see Rousseau's character as a small girl and her meet this this scary man who tells her not to not to come back. But oh, Who's obviously Daniel. Right, but I, I, I do... You know, I like... Rebecca Mater, I think. I like her a lot. If this is it for her, that is a little frustrating. Um, not again, not the shortest arc I think of any character on Lost, but one that I would have I would have liked to see more of. What I thought was significant though is that she clearly says, you know, why can't Daddy come with us? She seems to have a relationship with her mother and father, and then she mentions separately that this scary man came and gave her this message. Uh-huh. So my feeling is all of those theories. As as far fetched as they were, that you know, uh, Charlotte is actually Daniel Faraday's daughter. No. That cannot be it. I mean, now it seems pretty clear to me that that cannot be the case. But just in case anybody was still hanging on to that, anything else uh, really stood out? Well, what I thought was beautiful is that Jin intended his wedding ring to be proof 
that he was dead, but Ben ended up using it as proof that he was alive. And I thought that was just kind of beautiful and ironic and poetic. Right. And I think a lot of that had to do with the scene with Jin basically threatening to cut the rope if Locke doesn't tell her that. You know, right. that was, I think, a very a good emotional scene for Daniel Day Kim and was uh, handled well. And that kind of makes the fact that the ring turns up as proof of life kind of nice although i gotta say if someone shows up and gives me my spouse's wedding ring and says this is proof that he's still alive so i'm not sure if i'd, I'd read it that yeah way. yeah you're probably it could go right. either way but uh, definitely a good moment so uh, as far as good moments though we have uh, i thought a really great breakout here for michael emerson once again i love that scene in the van because he's so full of rage and he's so you know he's just so angry but yet, you don't really trust him. Right. I mean, on one, uh, uh, clearly, he's been playing it really cl- close to the vest. He's he's moving around. He's hanging out with Jack. He's putting all of these pieces in motion. But there you see, the, I think, a, a very deep emotional frustration um, that, you know, it's not being appreciated that he's been putting his life on the line to protect all of the Oceanic Six all this time. And now they're sitting in the van joking, basically, about killing him. Yeah. And he didn't want to take it anymore. But I also agree that... Is that what's going on? You know, it was that all part of an act. You know, Michael Emerson and Ben's character is so good that you that even when you think that you get a glimpse of the real thing, you're not sure if that's no, actually what's you going totally on. don't know. I'm still not sure. Uh, he had some good lines, though. You know, uh, one, yes, you know, I thought you said that Locke didn't come to see you. Oh, that's right, Jack. I went to see him. You know, I thought that was cool, and uh, it's supposed to take 30 minutes. Oh, I didn't account for traffic. And, you know, and then they cut out, and there's no traffic. He's yeah. just being a smartass. <laughs> definitely, definitely love that uh, that that moment. And uh, I really like when Sawyer and Jin finally I meet. almost cried. That I, was I really did. I almost cried when they recognized each other. Well, part of it, I think, is because uh, Sawyer and Josh Holloway has been doing such a good job uh, conveying the frustration, the confusion, the anger that's coming with being helpless and dragged along through time. You know, here's a con man who does not like to be out of control. So he's looking for something to connect with. He's just out of his mind, and finally a friendly face appears. I really felt that. I agree. I, did. I thought I did. that was really, really good. But my favorite thing was the music box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The music box that Saeed fixes back in season one, there it is. Right, right. It's uh, Danielle's music box, and actually, you know, it all goes back to a, a single episode it's solitary from right. season one a couple of things there one yes the music box which they brought back and also when you know robert says i love you i love you put the gun down and then tries to shoot her and then the gun doesn't fire now i first thought that that was um or you at first thought that that was because uh you know like michael's gun doesn't fire uh-huh. or things don't happen if the island doesn't isn't ready to let you go but of course if you go back to solitary as many of our commenters pointed out yeah we so tell saeed that she took the firing pin out of robert's right. he, gun he didn't notice you know saeed didn't notice and he didn't notice as well so that was really well telegraphed so on one hand i'm thinking wow it's great for them to tie these things back to season one but on the other hand you know a lot of this stuff they can go back and read and say these are things that we need to show happening on the show but i think they handled it pretty well so <laughs> Um, Sawyer takes it for granted that that Jin and Miles can understand each other, yes. and so <laughs> Miles's line that he's Korean, I'm from Encino, made me laugh. Absolutely, a good one there. Um, or in fact, uh, when Charlotte's, you know, what other language do you speak? Oh, just Klingon. <laughs> and and I believe her. I believe her. I've act. I you know I hung out with a lot of trekkers in my day, and I I had one friend who did speak relatively fluent Klingon. Really? Yes, and you can take courses in college apparently as well. Um, I 
I liked uh, Sawyer. You know, Locke says, I'm going to go down this well and I'm going to find a way off the island. And Sawyer goes, you're expecting a subway? So <laughs> despite the fact that there's a lot of these things going on and, you know, some pretty uh, frightening moments as well, I definitely thought there was more laughs in this episode. Well, than the whole in sequence in the well was so funny because because of that line, the subway. And then... So I don't remember what Sawyer says, but Locke says, where's the fun in that? Oh, right. No, uh, Sawyer says, are you sure you don't want us to let you down? And Locke says, you sure you don't want, you know, what, what would the fun be in that? And and you had pointed that, that out. That smile that you, you might miss, might have missed it. But there's this moment right after he says that he kind of laughs to himself. Yeah, he hides his, his face under his arm and he kind of has this broad grin. And part of me thinks it looks so genuine that it's got to be like accidental or an outtake or something yeah, that Terry wasn't was about to... to start cracking up. Right. But... but the fact that they left it in and the fact that, you know, he's he's about to basically risk his life to save everybody and go down into a, a hole. And he goes, yeah, what would be the fun in that? And I, you're that i i felt that that was a, a golden moment and i could i went back to watch it over and over again because whether or not it was intentional it was one of the tiny little things you know just like going to get the water from the leaf you know mm-hmm. some small touches despite an episode jam-packed with all sorts of big things these little touches are the ones that made the difference and why i really love this episode so john from north carolina points this out and i hadn't realized it but this is the first episode where Ben and Desmond share a scene. That's right, that's right. Now, I think there might have been some thought that, you know, Ben was familiar with Desmond because of the hatch, but that that's not been fully established. You know, I think no. that there is some mystery as to whether or not anyone on the island was aware of what Desmond was up to up until the discovery of uh, the, the Pearl. I mm-hmm. think it was the Pearl. So um, I'm not sure, but that, that scene... Again, you know, it's not just the fact that Desmond shows up, which was spectacular because I forgot, in fact, that he was on Uh his way to the same place. That's how engrossed I was in the story. But the look on Ben's face when Uh he says, so you're looking to Faraday's mother, too? And he's like, God damn it. Like, you know, he just (laughs) makes the connection in his head. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So, um, yes, an episode that covers a lot of ground. It moves very fast and has a lot of big things in it, but um, shows us that it still has that heart that we love about the show with the little things, the little touches. So definitely a winner. Yeah. One of my favorites of the season so far. So that was our two cents. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will hear from you all, everybody. Hi, Jen and Ryan. This is Avery calling from Colorado Springs. Just finished watching This Place is Death. Loved it. I think it is one of the best paced episodes of the entire series. Things just went boom, 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 and my jaw was dropping at every commercial break. I thought it was wonderful. So many questions uh, were answered and are starting to be answered. I love the pace of this season. Um, I think the viewers are finally getting we deserve for sticking with the show. Love the podcast. Thanks. We start off there with a great voicemail from Avery. Yeah, it's always great to hear from new voices. Absolutely. Thanks for your call. And yes, boom, boom, boom. A great pace here for season five. Here are calls from John, Lara, and Jerry. Ryan and Jen, this is John from Atlanta, first-time caller. Very much appreciate the effort you two put into this podcast. And let me just say, holy John from North Carolina. I thought we were going to meet Jacob down in the bottom of that well, but alas, it was just his proxy again, Christian. 
However, that, that does seem to lend more credence to the idea that Christian is uh, basically stepping in for Jacob because Locke is, in fact, Jacob. And if you think about the scenario that is about to unfold, it sure seems like Locke's dead body is going to return to the island on a date before his death, therefore leaving him in the same sort of limbo that Christian Shepherd appears to be in. Anyway, another cockamamie theory that I have, the smoke monster is, in fact, a shapeshifter. Once and for all, I think we know that, but it is not in cahoots with the island, in quotes. Uh, the island obviously seemed to prevent Rousseau's husband from shooting her, Rousseau's husband, of course, being a uh, representation of the smoke monster. Anyway... That's my silly theory for the week. Again, love the podcast, and thanks for doing it. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Jen. Uh, this is Lara from Silver Spring. Um, only recently started listening, but I think I've been following you guys online probably, I guess, gosh, almost 10 years now. Um, anyway, uh, coolest thing for me last night was realizing that um, possibly Jin caused Rousseau's madness. Uh, she prevented him, he prevented her from going down the hole, and I don't think that she actually went down after he disappeared. Uh, whatever her team learned in the temple, she did not learn, um, and she didn't believe them. And, you know, it was amazing to me how quickly uh, Rousseau went crazy. Um, it was within minutes, uh, which was kind of amazing. Hi, this is Terry from Michigan. Just got done watching This Place is Death. Uh, my thoughts are uh, when they showed the French team go into the cave uh, or the lair of the smoke monster, it kind of drove them mad with uh, the sickness, as they call it. Well, I wonder if that's what's been going on with Locke the whole time. I wonder if he's really not this messiah that uh, he's made out to be. Uh, maybe he's been dealt this sickness, and that's what's causing him to see the things that he's seeing and believe in the things that he's believing. Uh, that's my opinion. Thanks, Scott. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Thanks a lot for those calls. So, John from Atlanta, Christian is stepping in for Jacob until Locke is ready to be Jacob. I can see that. Well, I kind of like the earlier theories that Jacob was just sort of a construct that never actually existed and just something that someone had to say to ascribe these wills or these motives or, you know, things that had to happen. Well, Jacob said so, and in fact, there's nothing actually there. But I can see, you know, uh, Locke is clearly somebody for whom the has a has a greater purpose on the island. He's not having a good time of it, but, well, you know, yeah. it, it seems that in this case, they're, again, continuing to steer him along the path, even when he's reluctant about it or even when he gets it completely wrong in this case. I also kind of like what he said that, you know, we're, we're that uh, Christian Shepherd is kind of in a limbo and that Locke is on his way to that because Christian, because Locke is going to come back to the island to a period before he died, even though he's killed off the island. And that can kind yeah. of be what's going on with Christian Shepherd, who dies in Australia and ends up on the island, even though he was on the island. And, you know, I hadn't even considered that that was what was going on, but I mean, that actually makes perfect sense. You no, know, it sort of makes sense until you think about it too much. But I kind of like the idea that uh, we've seen people stuck in a catatonic state because their consciousnesses are also where we've seen other issues with comas and things so uh, you know people being trapped by some kind of paradox created by traveling and arriving on the island I can definitely see that and his last thought was that the smoke monster was was a representation or her husband Robert was the smoke monster what do you think about that I'm not ready to jump on that bandwagon no, just yet. I'm not entirely sure about that yet. It, I mean, because, well, because one, as I learned, it wasn't the island that stopped him from shooting her. It was 
her that stopped him from shooting her. Right. But also, I think if I were a smoke monster pretending to be a person, I'd only put up with so much before lashing out. And if I were, if I got shot in the head, I wouldn't fall down and lie dead on the thing. I'd, I'd go and rip her arm off. So yeah. I, I, the shapeshifter thing. I mean, there's a lot of theories about the smoke monster. What it is, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go down that path like you. Uh, Lara saying that it was uh, Jin causing Rousseau's madness by vanishing, and uh, you know, also because he prevented her from seeing the truth or seeing what her French team saw. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely think that um, Rousseau, maybe by virtue of not going down that hole, doesn't understand some things that that the, her team understands. Right, so I mean, I'm still not clear, though. I mean, is it that uh, her team saw the truth and she doesn't, and because of that disparity, she goes bonkers? Or if, in fact, there is a sickness in the sense that something happens in the mind of the French team that she recognizes? And I think we have a good call on that coming up, but certainly good theory. And finally, Terry, not Jerry, um, <laughs> kind of building on that, saying that the sickness, or at least this awareness of the truth, is what happened to John Locke early in season one. And ever since then, he's been moving down the path because of this sickness. What do you think? Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe the sickness is some kind of higher awareness of something. Well, I mean, there was, the, again, the pivotal scene where he looks up and he sees the smoke monster, but he sees it as something beautiful and not right. scary. I think that that's sort of what I felt when Robert is speaking very uh, gently about the smoke monster that just ripped off his friend's arm. So there's something to that, I suppose, except that if it were true, if there was this ability of the island to make someone a true believer, then Locke ha- didn't get a full dose or something because yeah. this the, his entire character, his entire entire arc for all of Lost has been a believer or a non-believer, a skeptic or a person who doubts. So um, maybe because he didn't get sucked all the way down the hole. Maybe Maybe that's it. Maybe Maybe. he never fully, you know, got the indoctrination. Actually, I kind of like that. All right. Who else are we going to hear from? We have two calls from Rich in Cleveland and Connie in Alaska. Ryan and Jen. This is Rich in Cleveland, Ohio, defending the island. Uh, I just want to say that you've been a great discovery ever since you recently entered my radius of influence, so I just want you to know your efforts are appreciated. Um, As far as the episode goes, easily the best of the season. I know everyone's been uh, high on Jughead, but this one was great with uh, the Smoke Monster and Jan and Christian Shepard. It's great. Um, Anyway, my comment relates to the events involving uh, Rousseau and the French team. And they date all the way back to uh, Solitary in Season 1. There's a pivotal scene after Saeed escapes. And Rousseau explains why she killed her whole team. What if they had gone back, she said, with that uh, crazed look in her eye. I've long thought that the uh, the sickness might be form- some form of dehumanization. You know, the pigs are walking. Um, carried back to external reality. First, I thought maybe this would be uh, through Aaron, who was born where life was never meant to be, Um, also possibly through the timelines. Um, But now we have a new possibility that goes all the way back to the first days on the island, and that's that the smoke monster has the power to make zombies or maybe bad twins. Uh, This might be all good on the island, but what if they go back? Are they death incarnate? Because this place is death. Namaste. Hi, Ryan and Jen. <clears throat> this is Connie in Alaska. Um, I just was thinking um, about the smoke monster, and um, anybody that is familiar with Bible lore or um, uh, theology, 
um, I just had this theory about um, the smoke monster, Christian Shepherd, and Jacob as being um, the Holy Trinity, a a type of the Holy Trinity, with um, Jacob being God, Christian Shepherd being Christ, um, God's manifestation in the flesh on earth, and the smoke monster being a type of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'll just point out one uh, comparison. Um, in, in old Bible times, before Christ came and died on the cross, um, the, the people worshipped and sacrificed in the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was an area called the Holy of Holies that was separated from everybody else, and only a few chosen uh, from the tribe of Levi, priests, could go into the Holy Holies, but only at certain times of the year. And they had to have um, made the proper sacrifices and... Uh, they could go into the Holy of Holies and uh, and commune with God. God would come down and meet them there. Um, and uh, anybody that 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 breached the Holy of Holies uh, was struck dead. And uh, they would even tie ropes around the priest's ankles. So if they entered unworthy and God struck them dead, then they would be able to yank them out with having to having to go in there and get them. So, anyway, I just with the introduction of the temple last week and the smoke monster, and just thinking about how that all works together, um, I'm sure anybody out there that's familiar with the Bible could probably go a lot of different directions with this. But uh, anyway, um, that is just a thought that I had, and uh, thank you. Mahalo for those calls. We got a couple of deeper theories from Rich and Connie. What did you think about Rich's theory that these uh, that they're all death incarnate? I don't really know what that means. <laughs> well, uh, he's pointing out, again, a lot of this goes back to solitary. Solitary being a key companion yeah. piece to this episode. But he keys in on the line where she says, what if they got back? What if they escaped? What if they were rescued? In other words, she recognized her teammates were sick, but the biggest threat was not to her. The biggest threat was to the rest of the world if these oh. people were allowed to get off the island and interact with the rest of the world in their current state. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say right out that I'm a skeptic and not a believer in when you're starting to talk about shapeshifters or zombies or bad twins or clones or any of those things. I think most of those words, I hopefully, are actually banned in the writer's room of loss. But you never know. <laughs> and that's why I like what Rich is saying, because he says, well, you know, if you want to go down that path, there are some clues here from that line, from Aaron being born and being important because he was born on an island where you weren't supposed to be born. And this can go back to the conversation we just had with what's happening with John Locke and what's happening with Christian Shepherd. And are there in a trapped state? Is there some kind of escape? Or, I mean, I don't want to say purgatory, but something kind of big is going on here as far as the, the, the barrier between life and death. I think, yeah. basically. So okay. definitely like being made to think. And finally, Connie in Alaska with the Holy Trinity theory about what's going on. And actually, we've, this has come up before. Yeah. And in fact, she's correct that the religious references in Lost go back to the beginning. Right. But, you know, kind of articulating again that we have Jacob as uh, God. Uh, who else? Uh, Christian, Christian Shepherd. Shepherd as the sun and Smokey as the Holy Spirit. Ah, right. Okay. So what do you think about that? Um, I like it, except 
personally, I think Locke makes a better Jesus. And a listener named Peter actually wrote in and made a really good argument for that. Right. All the uh, things that have happened to Locke point to him as being the Christ figure. Right. His name is John, of course, that he seems to have been born into the role of the of leader. And he was, in fact, visited as a small child by a wise man, or Richard in that case. And, you know, he grew up to have only a brief period of leadership before things all went to hell. So <laughs> there are a lot of parallels as well. But I did like what Connie said about the uh, the tabernacle and really how that kind of sounds like what's happening with the temple here yeah. and that uh, you had to tie a string because if they got you know basically struck dead you had to pull them out with a rope I mean I think some of the parallels are great so I think it's a good idea to be reminded about the religious elements in the show it's actually not been all that prominent in the, no, the last I mean, couple of seasons no I mean since like season two right so it could be coming back it might uh, always be something that you want to keep in the back of your mind here are three more calls from Lloyd Nathan and Donald from the Donald's Lost podcast hey Ryan Jans, Lloyd and PA on uh, Friday morning after um, the last episode there. Um, I haven't called in a while, but I'd hit you with some thoughts. Uh, not really a theory, but more a question. Um, we had the end of season three. Uh, a bearded, kind of drugged out Jack saying, we got to go back. And we had the end of season four. Uh, with Jack walking away from Locke in the coffin and uh, Ben saying, we're going to have to bring him too. And it's been stressed so much that we have to have all of the Oceanic Six back. And now it looks like we're not going to have that um, in the initial um, travels out of the island. I just wondered, uh, not that I'm complaining, but if I will be a little disappointed if we've had two season finales and a bunch of talk about taking the 06 back, and then it ends up that we really don't. Just wanted to see what you two thought on that. A couple of favorite uh, of my pillars in the Lost community, and if we haven't said it enough before, guys, uh, we really appreciate the podcast and love what you're doing. And you got a listener as long as you're on... Uh, on the podcasting waves here. But uh, have a good one, guys, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Nathan from California calling about Lost, the episode, This Place is Death. Uh, Well, something really bothers me about the show. The fact that Rousseau and Jen were in such close proximity, yet she doesn't recognize him. There's no hint of recognition in any of the previous episodes. And you might ask, well, when were Rousseau and Jin in the same place? Well, I believe there were multiple, but one I can definitely confirm is that he was with them in the episode Greatest Hits when Jack took them to show the plan of using explosives on the tents to kill the others. It's the end of season three. He was definitely there. She definitely saw him. So what does this mean? It's really unfortunate. Thanks. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Donald from Donald is Lost. Just wanted to call in and get your guys' opinion on Danielle Russo. Do you think we were cheated out of a full Danielle Russo story? I mean, for the big reveal that we had last episode, all we got was maybe 10 minutes of her on screen. And we didn't really get to see everything that we wanted to see. Of course, we didn't see young Ben stealing her, stealing Alex. And I think it, we kind of got cheated on a story. So I just wanted to know what you guys think and if we'll, you think we'll see her again. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for those calls. Uh, some disappointment in their voices. We'll start with Lloyd. What do you think? Uh, after we learned uh, God help us all if we don't get all of them, and even Christian says in this same episode that you have to get all of them, that uh, Miss Hawking is willing to make do with just a couple. Well, we have. they haven't gone back yet. I suppose. I suppose. I, 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 you know, I hadn't mentioned it, but I think that that was a little deflating that, you know, she goes, oh, well, I guess we'll just have to get started now. But I think that maybe they can't finish without all six or something. You know, maybe uh, I, I, I certainly hope that it's not as simple as we really wanted to get all six, but it's OK if we don't. I think there has to be more to that. No. And I don't think Ben's done working his magic yet. I don't know. We'll see. But we'll definitely have to wait and see. Nathan saying that uh, basically what we discussed last week as well, which is why doesn't why did we see Danielle Rousseau recognize Jin when they first meet throughout the first five, four episodes of Lost. I don't know. Maybe because she hadn't met him yet. Right. I think that the, you, you, you know, the, the thing that you can pull out of your pocket, of course, is what happens to poor uh, Desmond, who only wakes up in bed with Penny, uh-huh. remembering the, fo- the conversation at the hatch, which didn't happen until until uh, Daniel had gone back to plant it in his head. So I don't know. That issue, though, brings up the multiple timeline issues or that they're changing the future, either of which is, it gets a little hairy. But uh, I have faith, though. I have faith that it's going to be addressed and we're going to get an explanation. You figure they're not just going to walk away from that? No, they're they're smarter than that. Well, we're going to see. I agree that they're smart, but I don't know. I, I, I do appreciate, though, Nathan, getting a specific example, you know, what episode, because I couldn't remember. It was in my head. I'm like, oh, maybe they've actually never been face-to-face. But in Greatest Hits, they were. I also right. read that uh, through the Looking Glass, there was a, a scene where, where Rousseau addresses a lot of them, including him. And specifically because in this episode we just watched, uh, we know that, you know, uh, Jin isn't just some mysterious Asian guy who floated up on the, beat, uh, floated up on the water, mm-hmm. but he's someone who messed with her head and vanished into thin air so uh-huh. certainly someone that you would think she would remember when she sees him again and finally donald saying so what do you think is that it for daniel russo is no that's all they're willing to give us right now because i mean there's a lot going on right now mm-hmm. there's this oceanic six there's there's a lot of stuff going on so you don't and think that this is all there is for daniel russo that they basically no. said here's her story and we're done no Definitely not. You know, I'm not sure. I agree that there's a lot going on, but there's a lot going on through all of Lost, and there are a lot of other characters whose connections and stories we're all crying to hear, like Libby, for example. (laughs) Exactly. So if this is all that they do give us for Daniel Rousseau, would I be a little disappointed? Yes, but uh, I would also not be surprised. I think that this was enough of that to say... Basically, I think the point of this episode was to prove to you that what she said in solitary was actually true, happened. Right. I think that was key. Um, but, you know, I do like finding out her backstory, but I kind of like Mira Fulan better. So if we were going <laughs> to see more Danielle, I would rather it be that actress. I'm not particularly tied to young Danielle Rousseau. Yet. True. Fair point. We have three calls from Clay, Jesse, and Denny. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Clay from the Dharma Dummies in Sacramento, California. Just wanted to say I love the podcast, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. You guys kind of inspired me to get into this whole lost podcasting business. Uh, I just finished watching This Place is Death for a second time, and I am more certain than ever that Christian Shepherd should not be trusted, because anyone who spends that much time in the dark and never comes out into the light is up to no good. And plus, why couldn't he help John get up? Who does that? Sorry, dude, I can't help you up even though your leg is broken. Uh, Something is not right with him. I do not trust him. So I wanted to hear what you guys thought about Christian Shepard and where his motives lie. Love the episode. Probably one of the best of the series, in my opinion. Um, Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Hey there, Ryan and Jen, Jesse. What's up? 
I want to talk about Dan and Charlotte. I know I said I'd go crazy if Charlotte died. And I'm willing to overlook that whole death because I'm pretty sure now Dan being in the past at the season opener means that we'll find out all about her past, which is fine by me. But I specifically remember Dan saying, you cannot change the future. The future will always be what it is. And there's no way to change it. Everything you do to change it will always end up being the same. So even though we're about to see him go back in the past and go off to save Charlotte, in reality, he can't. Which either brings us to one of two conclusions. One, he's so lovesick and sane that he's going to keep trying. Or two... The reason why he has this theory of no matter what you do and everything you do to change the future would always be the same is because he's tried to save Charlotte countless times. Like he always goes back to save her and keeps messing up. So he has to do it over and over and over again. I don't know. But uh, just something to think about. Anyway, Ryan, Jen, love the podcast. See you guys later. Hey there, Ryan and Jen. This is Danny from New York. Um, I just ha- I want to put forward a little theory of mine about the flashes and uh, the the potential for paradox. Uh, from the way I can see it, this is really different from what was happening to Desmond because Desmond was traveling in his own timeline. But it's not that different because it seems like these people are traveling not in their own timeline but in the island's timeline. So it's not exactly that different. And, you know, the, the whole, the rules that uh, Miss Hawking gave to Desmond probably do apply. If they were to say anything to anybody in the past, the universe would still course correct itself to have everything happen the way it happened. And that's a little sad for Charlotte, but uh, otherwise it does seem to make sense in their own metaphor, as it were. Really enjoy the podcast. Have a good one. All righty. So Clay says, don't trust Christian Shepherd. Okay. I, yeah, can... I think that's a fair piece of advice. Yeah. I mean, again, this episode reminds us that there was some con- some conflict there between the Christian Shepherd vision of the island, possibly Richard, and the Ben vision of the island, someone who other people did not feel was doing his job and doing the greater things that needed to happen. So right. I think that's fair. But we have seen Christian Shepherd in the sun, though. That's right. He didn't. He's not only in the dark. I mean, certainly in the cabin, he's in the dark, and in the jungle, he has been in the dark when he he took Claire. But oh, right, right. when we first meet him, he's, he's in the sun, standing on the beach, and that's what you know gets uh, Jack to chase him. Now, certainly that vision draws him into a dark place, but I don't think necessarily that he doesn't exist during the day. But a fun call nonetheless. Uh, our friend Jesse again saying uh, he's going to forgive for now the fact that Charlotte is dead and focus on what's going on with Daniel. You know, either he's lovesick and he has to keep trying, or that he. He's forced to keep trying that he's doing it over and over again. Like Groundhog Day. Or, yeah, like a number of other, I think, time loop theories. I, I I, like that they've basically set the groundwork here that we are going to see the encounter that uh, Charlotte describes. But mm-hmm. it does it does make you wonder. It, it, I, it, a lot of people, including on the blog, tied that to him crying the first time he sees the Oceanic Six right. at the bottom of the ocean. That, you know, at some point he has to come to a realization that he can't change things no matter how much he tries. We are going to see him go. He cannot resist, despite 
knowing that Charlotte dies, trying to tell her not to come back to the island. But he comes to that realization possibly when we see him. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, again, he could be anywhere in his own loop because he's all over the place. But ah, this kind of stuff messes with my head. And, and speaking of messing with my head, Denny there saying that we shouldn't worry about the paradox and what people do within their own timelines because really it's all the island's timeline. And no matter what people on the island do, it's if it's the island timeline that takes precedence, that still it's true, whatever happens will happen as far as the island is concerned. I don't know. That it seems that seems like a really convenient way for people to get out of things that they write themselves into. I, I agree, I agree. But I mean I think what he's saying is essentially that it's true that when we're talking about course corrections, um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be within uh, what Desmond does or within what uh, Daniel does, but it's if the island has an outcome that exists in its timeline, that no matter how much these little ants running around start messing with things and tying things into strings, um, it's not going to matter that it's really the island and we should just stop worrying about it. Okay. Okay. That sounds fine. And uh, I think we have time for a couple more calls. Here's one from Joel and Jay. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Joel from Pennsylvania. Just finished watching uh, the latest last episode. And wow, it just keeps getting better and better. Um, One observation I had, and I don't know if it's wishful thinking or what, but on replay, it really sounded like the numbers in the original transmission were Hurley's. Hurley was saying them. And just the idea of Hurley being the one potentially who's reading off the numbers in the original transmission is really mind-blowing. And I can't wait to see that that's true. And if that's true, I would be quite an amazing scene to show him actually reading the numbers. So just my input. don't know if it's right or not, but my wife and I both definitely thought it was Harley's voice. Wanted to say, long-time listener, love the podcast. Keep it up. I listen to it every week on my ride to work. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Jay in D.C. I had an idea about why why Ben stole Alex, Russo's child, a long time ago. Maybe he had been told by Jacob or somebody else that the first child born on the island or was special. And maybe that's why he was grabbing Alex and found out that it wasn't actually Alex who was special, but it, but instead it was Aaron that was special. Something to think about. Thanks for those calls. I think we'll start with Jay. Obviously, you know, seeing Ben stealing Alex, I guess that's one part of Rousseau's story that we might want to see happen. Definitely. Um, but, uh, you know, it's maybe he thought that Alex or, was going to be the special child, but learns later on that it's Aaron that's special. Yeah, sure. I can I can see that. I mean, he, he probably didn't realize at the time that it was more important that the child be conceived on the island. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We've got a Gion. We've got a Gion who was conceived on the island, born off the island. And we have an Aaron who was conceived off the island and born on the island. Plus, you have Walt, who was special and was a child brought to the island and had to be let go because they couldn't handle him. I mean, the kid issue, you know, is another thing that uh, another great arc in Lost that has yet to be explained. I, I hope they com- it comes around to that, but certainly a good thought of about uh, the motivations for Ben and a piece of the story we want to hear. Finally, that uh, call from Joel raising an interesting point. Whose voice was that reading the numbers? Okay, we went back and we listened and that is Hurley. Let's give it a shot here. (laughs) 
So you're you're sold already. That's Hurley. Kind of makes my hair stand on end. I, I I really like that, and, and it was something that I hadn't even mentioned. Someone had thought that it was Faraday's voice I had read somewhere else, but Hurley definitely fits, and uh, I think that it's key because it's something that clearly has been a Hurley issue. The numbers mm-hmm. are Hurley's issue, right? And uh, if he actually sets into motion the things that bring everybody to the island, starting with the the French expedition, that's Brilliant. That's just going to blow my mind. I mean, it, it really makes me. I mean, we've also been sucked into Battlestar Galactica, and they have that line that all this has happened before, uh-huh. and it's going to happen again. Yeah. Good golly, you know that that kind of yeah, it, it just makes the hairs on on the back of my neck stand up. I definitely like that. So thanks for pointing that out, Joel. I think we believe you, but I'd love to hear any other alternative theories. So let's uh, get to some of the comments on the blog. Joshua writes, "I think Ben killed Locke as Bentham off the island. Ben has been trying to get rid of Locke, discredit him, or take." Locke's place ever since Jacob slash the island showed how special Locke was. It has been a power struggle since the beginning for Ben. Locke was supposed to turn the wheel and move the island, so Ben did it. Locke is told by Christian to round up the 06 and take them to Mrs. Hawking. Ben finds him off island, learns these new instructions from Jacob, kills Locke, and takes over his mission. Ben just wants to keep his position on the island and thinks that if he steps into Locke's shoes, so to speak, everything will go back to normal for him. I definitely like that. I mean, we had discussed briefly when, uh, you know, when Ben turns up with the wedding ring, you kind of ask how that happened. Uh And a number of people think that it was, in fact, Ben that kills Locke. But the way that Joshua outlines it and kind of points out all of the things that Ben does in place of Locke, including rounding up the oceanic seas. Right, right. That, that's 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 pretty pretty darn good. Um, and again, you have to remember Ben not only not only does Ben want to maintain control of the island, but has a resentment toward uh, Locke. But we have hints that Ben stole the island from uh, Whitmore, Charles Whitmore. Right. So clearly. I, I like that. I like that Ben is just up to no good no matter what timeline or what time of the world he's in. <laughs> good stuff. Greg on the blog writes, The thing that intrigues me is, if Locke had been the one to originally turn the wheel, he would not have been bouncing around in time back on the island and would not have been able to go back in time and tell Richard when he would be born, yada yada. That seems like it was kind of important to have, have happened. And uh, what can I say to that? I mean, again, going back to maybe Hurley's voice, it's that the things that happen have to happen. That, that that's No matter what. No matter what, no matter what, uh, the things that we're seeing unfold, even though it seems like they're acting on free will, is actually part of a grand. And maybe Ben is aware of that. Possibly. Then, and again, going back to Ben's statement about changing the rules, I think there is some kind of pivotal point or some pivotal opportunity that someone has to break out of these uh, these predetermined uh, endings, and that's what Ben is talking about. Becky D writes, I think that Locke, in a sense, was keeping his promise to Jin. He did not tell Sun Jin was alive, but neither did he tell her he was dead. He instead handed the ring off to Ben so that he could do what was needed to be done. I figured that Ben would have given the ring to Sun as proof that Jin was alive. I'm surprised that Sun did not immediately wonder if Ben was lying and that Jin was actually dead and Ben removed the ring from his finger, but I suppose she wanted to believe he was still alive. Well, there's an explanation there from Becky that, I mean, again, I had said that if uh, if if, I, if someone had showed up at the house, Jen, and given you my wedding ring, if I had a wedding ring, um, that would kind of make you think something had happened to me, not right. that I was okay. Right. But I guess if you want to believe it to be true, that could be what's going on. I don't know. I might have been a little more skeptical of that since she says that I've believed for three years that he's dead. But, uh, you know, and as for Locke handing off the ring to Ben, I'm, I guess we're just going to have to wait to see how that turns out. Yes, we will. Aaron writes, 
Now, when the Losties make their way to the Black Rock, I'm sure Daniel mentions it being where Montan lost his arm. But I don't recall seeing the ruins in that scene, and I don't recall seeing the ship in the scene with Montan's arm. The Black Rock should have crashed there long ago, so are we to assume that the island will move quite considerably into the past and pick up the ship then? The rest of the crew then pop down into Smokey's hole, and we shift through time to find that Danielle has dispatched most of them and now has Robert at gunpoint. I was very excited to know whether the story she tells the Losties is true or not. Will Robert try to kill her? Yes, she does. So what do we assume? Is she correct when she says that they're not the same? Montand in the hole doesn't sound like someone who's just had his arm ripped off, as Jen mentioned. Does Smokey bring people back? Jack's father's body was lying around on the island, and now that seems to be wandering around as well. So what do you think? Well, people come back. I'm just not sure that it's Smokey that does it. Or that he's animating their body, basically a zombie scenario or a shapeshifter scenario. Not yeah. sure. I, I, I also think, I mean, he points out that we didn't see the Black Rock. I don't. I think it's already there. I'm hoping it's already there. Who knows now? But I think that the dark territory that Rousseau talks about is a lot larger than specifically just where Montan's arm was ripped off. Right, right. So actually, I think it'd be kind of interesting if we see Danielle Rousseau, the young Danielle Rousseau, who I just dismissed. It'd be interesting to see her discover the Black Rock for the first time. So that would be good. that would be great. Okay, yes. so here we are discovering many things that uh, we want to see. So I guess I should be upset that we haven't seen more <laughs> of the Danielle Russo story. Carol from Boston writes, I really agreed with Ryan's theory that time is now being changed by the Losties. Danielle didn't remember Jin because she hadn't met him yet. There are They are changing the past every time they flash with the island. I have always felt that way since the whole Desmond-Daniel meeting in the first episode. But when Charlotte is dying, she tells Daniel she remembers meeting him as a child, and Daniel doesn't remember it, so it hasn't happened for him yet. I am totally confused. And I think all I can say is that uh, we're with you there. I mean, we have these <laughs> opportunities where they should or should not remember things that are happening. I think she's right that this is one of the first times that they're predicting or they're basically speaking of an event that hasn't happened yet in the manipulation of time so now it's absolutely tying my brain in a knot so i don't know i'm just with you there carol as we wrap up our hour i think we'll just go with three more comments on the blog from people trying to explain what may or is happening on the island sandy from ohio writes the oceanic six are three years ahead of the island and have a 70 hour window in which to return which i'm sure they'll make on the island it's present time and i am figuring that when the island stops skipping like a record and finally stops it'll be present time again so here's the problem when the six return the previous three future years will not have happened and aaron will be an infant again and son will still be pregnant well there's a whole other can of worms well i guess i mean okay so that this is convenient that jiyun's not part of this trip even though jiyun was with son right. in a way but uh the, I'm, I'm not sure yet if aaron is included in going back that could happen but actually i'm not entirely sure what sandy is saying is she saying that their their physical state will change when they come back or that I they're guess. going to run into themselves on the island both i'm not i'm not really sure <laughs> this is starting to get yeah, i've definitely i've got what i think i'm getting a nosebleed oh, uh, anyway <laughs> okay well thanks sandy i will try to untangle that aaron from eugene writes if not tonight then soon pretty much everybody will die on the island and Locke will get away just in time when the six return they will return to the past effectively negating the intervening three years on the island and creating a new timeline in fact, to the islanders, it may appear that virtually no time has passed since the explosion on the freighter. Only the six plus Locke will have any memory of the previous three years, and the islanders will be confused by Aaron's rapid aging. This will not affect the timeline off the island, which will proceed as normal, so long as the island exists in its own little bubble of space-time, or trapped in a variation of a Faraday cage. 
Okay, well, clearly our listeners are, are smarter than we are and sorting out things that are beginning to leave us in the dust. We're still taking, you know, Lost 301, and they're in the graduate-level courses here. But uh, this this theory, again, makes you say that we're talking about a multiple timeline universe where mm-hmm. um, they're going to go back and sort of clip off this timeline at the at the head and just go somewhere else so that basically everything that we think or thought has happened in the last three years just gets eliminated. And I don't think, I don't think that's what they're saying is going to happen. And I don't think I would like it if that happens. No. Because the whole issue of being able to go far back enough to to to, to snip it and rewrite everything means that the entire series is a, a waste of time. It's meaningless, yeah. So I, I certainly hope that that's not where they're going to go. But d- definitely the idea of um, them saying, hey, here's Aaron, this big, you know, kid. I think that would certainly blow their mind. But uh, another nice thought. I, I'm definitely going to have to read the Wikipedia entry again on Faraday Cage. Rob finally writes, now Locke has successfully put the wheel back on its correct axis and in turn, moving the island once more. I believe that now the record has stopped skipping and the islanders, that's Sawyer, Jin, Miles, Faraday, and Juliet, have finally stopped time jumping. The island will stay in the current time when the island was put back on its correct axis by Locke. So, we know that the orchid has yet to be built, so this has to be pre-Dharma and close to the beginning of the Dharma initiative. And we will see that the season premiere episode, Because You Left, when we saw Faraday in the orchid, is actually a flash time forward. Hmm. Soon they will be building the orchid and Faraday will infiltrate the construction process as we saw so there you know i think we had sandy and uh aaron basically saying that the three years that have intervened are going to either vanish or not be relevant and then um, basically rob saying well actually we should be focusing our time way further back and in fact that if the movement of the island by lock locks things into place that because they're there before that uh, before the orchid was there that we're going to have a number of our losties spend a lot of time in the history of the island I, I, and it's true that uh, now they're before the point where we saw in in the because you left so it was a flash time forward so a nice thought what do you think i think it's a great way to tell us more about the history <laughs> of the dharma initiative i agree and uh, i think that's all we're going to say about that that's all we're gonna and say that's it for uh, this section you all everybody the feedback section and certainly our favorite part of the show because as we've demonstrated tonight you're all smarter than we are (laughs) Uh, we love all of your feedback over 100 comments on the blog once again dozens of emails and voicemails we listen to and read them all even though we can't include them all so please don't stop tell us what you think please call us at 808-356-0127 leave a comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or drop us an email at lost at hawaiiup Up.com. And we definitely encourage you to go the blog route because the comments and conversation can continue indefinitely as we're learning. Uh, just a small hint, though, if you have the urge to come and post a comment that begins with the phrase, uh, I don't have time to read all of this, but I'm not sure if this has been mentioned before. It probably, probably already probably has been, been mentioned, mentioned before. Yes. So take the time. I mean, you're all really, really smart folks, and there's just an, an, an unending uh, wealth of information to process, and we love it all. So now it's time to take a step into the forward cabin. This is where we hide production news, rumors, spoilers, sightings, and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you don't want to know what's coming up, you might want to skip ahead. All right. Well, first of all, let's tackle the preview. What did the uh, ABC announcer say was coming up next week on Lost? Mrs. Hawking is standing over a map with a large pendulum, and she says, this is how they find the island. Windows provide a route back. Jack opens Locke's coffin. Hurley says, let's do this. 
Desmond wonders out loud if they're going to do this willingly. Kate says to Jack that she's going with him and kisses him. Aww. Hurley says, fasten your seatbelt. And the announcer says, destiny will be their final destination. My. Well, the title of the episode is 316, and the official ABC synopsis is... The members of the Oceanic Six discover how to get back to the island, but not all of them want to return. Just pretty much a synopsis for the first five episodes of the season. Yeah, not not a heck of a lot revealed there. Although, uh, as far as revelations go, the Canadian version of this promo, as you, uh, as the Canadians tend to see a lot yes, more than a we lot do, more. Um, does show a couple of extra scenes. You know, Ben looking despondent in a uh, phone booth. Maybe things don't go well or didn't go well specifically for him. But the one that's got everyone really excited is the shot of Kate in an airplane seat on an airplane. And Very maybe good something happening to that airplane so yeah i think 316 would be another flight number here and they're probably <laughs> taking another airline Algera. absolutely um we should mention um if you didn't know that this episode is actually swapped with the following episode the life and death of jeremy bentham in, in, in other words this week's episode was supposed to be the life and death of jeremy bentham and we talked about it during the uh-huh. hiatus we were really really excited yes, by that episode still are but uh, not really sure why they decided to switch it and show 316 early now First of all, we hope that that doesn't mean things are going to get confused as far as what we learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would it would it would make me imagine that the life and death of Jeremy Bentham is one a pretty self contained story, and I would imagine it's just his adventures off the island. And two, because after next week's episode, there's going to be a week break a hiatus believe it or not just a week long here in season five that they felt that the ending of the life and death of jeremy bentham was much more mind-blowing to leave us hanging for an extra week very good so i'm willing to wait for that if that's absolutely true Um, but it does kind of answer the question because everybody was saying you know with only 17 episodes they're going to run out before sweeps week we had a couple of comments to that Mm -hmm. effect well with this break ta-da the season finale of season five lands right where abc needs it to be for sweeps week so good good. stuff now we don't have uh, any major filming reports this week um, except for a couple of friends at kapilani community college now kapilani community college is located on the slopes of diamond head and is in and is in fact adjacent to the diamond head film studio which Mm -hmm. lost pretty much owns right now with all of their production and they sent out a campus-wide alert on Thursday telling them, please do not be alarmed when you hear a number of explosions. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. What does that mean and where it comes in? No idea. This is probably the least helpful uh, forward cabin report ever. But still, I just kind of like that idea that, well, things are going to blow up. And that's enough for me at this point yeah. to look forward to what's coming up. So that's our brief foray into the forward cabin. And that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. Once again, we'll be back next week to tackle the next new episode of Lost entitled 316. The Transmission is powered by you. So please pro- provide us with your thoughts and theories. Um, you can comment on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Send us an email to lost at hawaiiup.com or call the Lost line at 808-356-0127. Remember that the transmission is available in both MP3 and enhanced AAC formats, so you can find that on the blog or in the iTunes Music Store. We'd like to send a thank you to Ralph from the Darmalars and Jeff from the Ace of Cakes show for writing in. Thanks, guys. We absolutely love it. All right, folks, that's it. We'll talk to you later. Stay lost. Aloha. in the world. Destiny calls. Fly Ajira Airways.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.